I'm Lori Hellman, an Indiana warrior mom who has navigated the autism world for 16 years and counting. My hope is to unite autism families by sharing experiences and taking a deep dive into this puzzling disorder. So thanks for joining me on Living the Sky Life, our autism journey. On today's episode, I was able to connect with autism mom extraordinaire, Susan Scott. Susan is such a strong warrior mom for her six-year-old son, Alex, and she uses many platforms to advocate loudly for more awareness, acceptance, and inclusion for those in the autism community. Susan created My Autism Tribe nonprofit and podcast as a way to connect with those of us who just get it. She is also simultaneously preparing to publish a series of children's books she wrote to help educate kids at a young age about embracing differences. Whew, I'm exhausted just listing all of her many projects. I believe that Susan is a pioneer for change, and I am so glad to call her a friend and be a part of her autism tribe. Please enjoy my conversation with Susan Scott. So I have the pleasure of talking today to a fellow podcaster who I admire so much, Susan Scott, and her podcast is My Autism Tribe. So Susan, welcome to the Thank podcast. You. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here, and I always love touching base with other autism moms and just the whole community. It's awesome. It is awesome, and you're so inspirational. Oh, thank <laughs> You've you. You've done so many things, which I can't wait to start talking about. Um, but just, you know, with your son being so young, I was talking to another um, guest that I had on the podcast recently about you know, a lot of the moms that have younger children um, who are diagnosed and just how much noise you guys are making with podcasts and blogs and so yeah. many community events and things. I wish I would have been that active when my son was younger. <laughs> just, well, we all have our own personal journeys, you know, and <laughs> life happens. And I definitely know what it's, what it feels like to be in the trenches. And some days you just don't have it to give, you know, and, and that's okay. Yeah. And luckily we've advanced so much with so many of the things out there to, you know, oh, yeah. as, as references and resources. So oh, that's yeah. always good. <laughs> the more we can do the better, right? Well, it's, there's a lot out there and I, I laughed about it because when my son was first diagnosed, there, I always joked that there was too much out there. <laughs> There's just <laughs> so much information being thrown at you from all angles. And then we all are guilty of going down, I think, that Google rabbit hole, you know, and everyone has varying opinions and viewpoints and it's, it's all good, but sometimes it can be too much. Yes, for sure. Well, I always like to, um, have the guests kind of explain their diagnosis journey. Um, and, and, and I know obviously with your own podcast and being a guest on others, you've, you've mentioned it before, but for the listeners that are new um, yeah. to you and um, Alex's story, could you share briefly, um, you know, just the development and, and how you learned that he was on the spectrum? Yeah, sure. So Alex is six years old now. Uh, he just started kindergarten and he was diagnosed uh, officially at the age of two and a half. And we were living in Illinois at the time. And I started noticing things. He was hitting all of the developmental milestones, um, you know, as far as lifting his head up. He was actually like ahead of 
the, the game with that and rolling over everything. I felt like I was the best mom ever because he was like checking off the boxes <laughs> and I was giving myself a pat on the back. Like that had anything at all to do with it. But, um, yeah, feeling really good. And then about, I would say around the age of 18 months, 20 months, he just kind of started developing some of the things that I thought were a little weird. He was, he was walking. I would say he was, he started off walking, holding my fingers and he was doing really, really well. But as far as being able to walk on his own, he didn't officially take off until about 18 months of age. And, but at that same time, he was also regressing in a lot of other areas and adding in some of these really kind of odd things that I didn't really know too much about and didn't seem to be quite normal. But he was my first child, my only child, and I didn't really have anything to compare it to. So that was around 18, 20 months. He started eliminating some foods from his diet, kind of like those go-to favorite foods that he always loved to eat. And he started kind of just turning into his own world, losing eye contact that wasn't always consistent. He would sit on the floor and rearrange crayons and objects by size, by shape, by color, and he would fixate on that. He, he could sit there for hours if I didn't try to pull him out of it. <clears throat> and so it was that was seemed to be really odd. I'm like, well, he's just really intense. You know, he's really <laughs> just loving doing this. And I thought, well, he's developmentally, he's sorting things by color and didn't really seem to be too baffled by it. But then he just kept regressing, um, eliminating foods. And then it got to the point where he was kind of hitting his ears a little bit. And that seemed kind of odd. We went for the two-year checkup and he wasn't really talking at that point. He was making sounds, but uh, looking back, they were probably more of like vocal stems at that point and talked to the pediatrician about it. And she was kind of one of those old school pediatricians. I was telling her that he was eliminating foods from the diet. And she said, well, you just fix what's for dinner and then you just close the kitchen. That's it. <laughs> And I'm like, well, that'll that teach seems, him. Yeah, that <laughs> seems kind of harsh, really. And he, she said, oh, no, if he's hungry, he'll eat. So I tried that for like 12 hours. And I went to bed that night and I'm like, I feel just absolutely terrible. I can't. He didn't sleep well that night. It was just, I knew he was hungry. I could hear his stomach growling. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't. Um, at that checkup, the doctor also recommended starting the early steps program. And so we started with speech and OT and had that for like one each for 45 minutes a week. And I can't really say that it did a lot, but it was something. And all of them, I just, I kept going back to the conversation because I was Googling at that point almost every day. I had reached a level that I would almost call obsession and trying to figure out what was going on. And the articles always landed on autism. And I, my husband at the time 
we're currently divorced, but I asked him, I said, I think, I think he might be autistic. I think it's autism. And he said, no, no, no. He's just a late talker. He's a late walker, all of that, you know, boys develop later than girls. And so I said, I don't think so. So finally I'm like, okay, it doesn't hurt to go and have him checked out. So we were on a waiting list to get a diagnosis and ended up getting the diagnosis in Chicago at the Illinois Masonic Children's Hospital. Um, sat in a room for like four hours with four different specialists coming in and out. And at the end of that four hours, on May 4th of 2016, he received uh, the official diagnosis of autism. And they kind of sent us back home with the instructions of, you know, intensive ABA therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and it was all just kind of really overwhelming. And we went back home and the next day I really started calling different places and everyone had significant and indefinite waiting lists. And those were their words. They said, well, we might be able to get him in in a year, but yeah. we don't know. And I said, a year, <laughs> that sounds like a really long time. And because everyone's stressing the early intervention, early intervention, you have to start as soon as possible. And so when someone tells you a year or two years, or they just don't know when, uh, every, you know, bone in my body was just saying, oh my gosh, this isn't right. And so I literally just spent hours every day looking for someone that could could place him and finally found that. And then we had insurance debacles where they didn't want to pay for it. So at one point we were paying $3,000 a week out of pocket mm -hmm. because the insurance company didn't want to pay. And I said, there's no way this is sustainable. Um, and so I uh, got a call out of the blue from a previous employer that I'd worked with 10 years prior to that. Um, about two months after Alex received the diagnosis, asking if I had ever thought about moving back to Kentucky. And I knew that Kentucky had the state mandate for insurance companies. And so long story short, we came back to Kentucky. We ended up starting to pay $20 a day for, the, for his therapy, which was great. We had intensive ABA therapy where eventually he was in a 40 hour per week program. He graduated a year ago in September um, from his ABA therapy program. He's in a general mainstream classroom. He just got accepted into the gifted talented program at school. That's so great. He's just uh, the most compassionate human being I've, I've ever met and has the sweetest soul. I'm so proud of him. Oh, I bet you were beaming when he graduated. Did they do like a, a big ceremony or anything? Oh, they had like a little pomp and circumstance. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> little like construction paper graduation hat. And his therapist, when I went to pick him up that day, they really did have throw like a little party with cookies and balloons and all of that kind of fun stuff. And the therapist and, and the owner of the therapy you know, center there, they were all in tears. They were crying. They, because they become one with your family. Um, you know, and I, I still am in contact with many of them over there and I call them my sisters and my brothers and very much considered them and still do as part of Alex's army because they really did fight for him every single day. And to have that as part of your team, as part of your child's army is just, it means the world. It really does. That's, that's sweet. And it definitely 
your success can help you, you know, advocate for that facility and, and other parents that are on that journey early on and, you know, send them there. And hopefully there's not a waiting list to get into that ABA program or something similar for other yeah. kids. Did there's, you guys? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you if when you were in Chicago, if you're, did you have a waiting list for the diagnosis as well? I mean, we were on an over a year waiting list um, for Riley Children's Hospital um, is who diagnosed Skylar with mm -hmm. autism. And when I called them and I remember we called them around age two ish and they said, you know, it's going to be at least a year. I just couldn't, I just couldn't fathom that. Yeah. You know, and we couldn't get any services until he was diagnosed. So yeah. It was just a long year of waiting. Oh my gosh, it is. It, and we still experience that now. It's just with the prevalence of autism and, you know, it's just increasing and there aren't enough providers and they're, they're starting to increase, but not at the rate that we need them to. So it's really kind of a sticky point. Um, I had to fight. They said the same thing to us. They said, you know, it's probably going to be a year, year and a half before we're able to get him diagnosed. And Lori, I tell you, I, you talk about mama bear. <laughs> I, I, and that's just kind of how I've always lived my life. When I set my mind to something, it's going to happen. And it's really, really hard for me to take no for an answer. Um, especially when it comes to my child, you know, my flesh and my bone, and I'm just going to do everything that I can for him. And I, what I just made phone call after phone call after phone call. And it was this one phone call this one day, I had had the most terrible day at work. I, we were just, it was just one of those dark days. And I ended up getting this lady on the phone and I'm a pretty like tough as nails person. It takes a lot to really get me down. And I started uh, probably after 10, 15 minutes of talking to this lady on the phone, I just broke down. I started crying and I just was like, please, I said, are you a mother? Are you a mother? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, please, what would you, how would you feel if someone was saying that something was wrong with your child and then no one was there to help them? And she said, okay, he, she said, give me a day and let me get back with you. And so I hung up and I was like, oh, she's just trying to get me off the phone call because I'd had so many of those phone calls. Oh, we'll give your information to somebody else. And the next day she called me back and she said, sweetheart, I have an opening in Chicago on this date, this time slot. That is the only one they have available. If you can't make this day or time, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get you in. And I said, we're there. Yeah, you'd there. move mountains to get there. <laughs> oh yeah, and so um, and so we went, but it was just being able to connect. It was finally using the words, "Are you a mother yourself?" Because I think all mothers, no matter what walk of life that you're on, you just get it. When it comes to your child, it doesn't matter if your child is on the spectrum or not. You're going to do anything that you can for them. Absolutely. I mean, I've used that same tactic with insurance. 
I mean, I can't yep. tell you the number of appeals I've written. I'm pretty yep. gifted at it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much get anything covered <laughs> because, you know, you're when you talk through email or you're talking through voicemails and leaving messages back and forth, if you can't get someone live on the phone and you can finally talk to them and, yeah. you know, mother to mother, it, yeah. it's, it definitely helps. They'll, oh, they're, yeah. It's funny how they just, you know, manage to find, okay, well, we do have one slot. But right. before they were just kind of too lazy. They just gave you the standard answer. Like, I'm sorry, it's going to be a year and a half. Yeah. So it's the same thing at a restaurant. <laughs> They're like, it's going to be a half hour for a table. And then you see like 30 tables and you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> yeah. So. It's just, it takes a little bit of push, you know? Yep. Well, it's great that his ABA was so successful and he's, you know, I assume since he's in the gifted program, speech isn't really much of a delay for him anymore, or does he still have some issues with, um, you know, just overall forming sentences and things like that? Or is he completely, you know, neurotypical with regard to speech? Well, there are certain, he's, he's still, he's in a social skills group at school. He's still very much, he can speak and his vocabulary is, is pretty good. I mean, it's, it's age appropriate. Um, but you can tell sometimes that he still struggles to piece together like sentence structure. So, uh, or like the adjective before the noun kind of thing. Um, but to really, he started kindergarten in August. And yeah, I was like, he's only six. So <laughs> yeah, he's only six. <laughs> yeah. But it really is. I mean, he, every single week, honestly, I'm seeing improvement in him. And a lot of that has to do with just being in a neurotypical environment now, I think, um, being immersed in that, being included in that environment, that has helped him to kind of come along. And the school has been absolutely amazing with making sure that he feels included in all of it. Um, he has an IEP. And he is pulled out for um, special education, um, I think, uh, 30 minutes a day. But I just had a parent-teacher conference with them earlier this week. And they said, I think we're going to have to make an IEP modification because he doesn't need to be pulled out anymore. Like he's already, you know, making those just milestones. And so that's really, really good. There's no question in my mind. He is definitely intelligent. Now I just need to make sure that he has all of the tools available to make sure that that intelligence rolls over into just everyday life, you mm -hmm. know, and those are the things that I worry about. And one of the questions that I ignorantly asked when they said that he was being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder was, will he ever drive a car? Will he ever get married? Will he graduate mm -hmm. from college? You know, and they're like, I have no idea, Susan, like that he's two and a half years old, but I want to make sure that he reaches his potential. That may not be driving a car. It may not be, um, you know, living in a home the way that you and I think about, okay, graduating from college and living in a home by yourself or whatever. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to make sure that I give him every tool available mm -hmm. so that he can reach that 
that potential, whatever that potential is. It's nice that they didn't say that they knew the answer to those questions because yeah. I mean, kind of had the opposite experience when we went to our neurologist because Skylar had seizures for from age two to four. Um, totally odd, unexplainable. He just came up, came about with seizures and then two years of that. And then they kind of just miraculously went away. Um, but the neurologist was actually one of the first people to tell us at age two that he thought he was on the spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. But he pretty much point blank said, you know, you guys might look into um, some of the special uh, assisted living facilities in Louisville for him. He'll never walk. He'll never talk. He'll never. And I'm just looking oh. at him and I talk about it in the book that I wrote, just how devastating, not only to hear a diagnosis like that, that, oh, yeah. not that much about 16 years ago or so, but yeah. to then be told absolutes about their future. Yeah. You know, he clearly walks, he doesn't speak, but he, there's a lot of things he's doing that, that that doctor at age two said he would never do. Yeah. And that just fuels me to make sure that we prove them wrong in every way possible because absolutely a moment for me, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more and more you hear of these stories, you can see how the way doctors are approaching those conversations have changed a little bit. Uh, from 16 years ago, 20 years ago, most definitely 30 years ago, where they were saying, you know, there's, you'll probably have to institutionalize your child or whatever it, to now being able to provide little glimmers of hope, or really just at least trying to set the parents' expectations of just, okay, just keep it an open book because you really don't know. Um, ABA therapy, other types of therapy, occupational, all of, all of these things can do absolutely magnificent things for these individuals. And so it's, and if you have received dialogue like that, I just would say, not necessarily to ignore it, but thanks, but no, thanks. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, writing, you're writing your own story. It's yep. like, you know, you just can't take that. It's, it's not right. Yeah. I, I just would hope that a lot of parents have the same gumption that, that we do. And so many parents do that. You're just like, okay, thank you. And then you move on. Like you don't take that right. and it's at face value and you just, you know, kind of roll your eyes. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, move on. Exactly. Right. <laughs> not my kid. <laughs> yep. No, not mine. Um, so as far as, um, I know we had talked before with Alex's, um, food choices, are, are those still limited? Does he still pretty much a picky eater or does he have sensory issues with foods? Yeah, it's, he definitely has a sensory processing disorder. So, you know, loud sounds and he has, the food repertoire has expanded. So That's it good. has, yeah, it's been very good. So at one point in time, he was down to eating about three different things. And that was Chex Mix, uh, <laughs> one very specific food, uh, a baby food pouch. And then Lori, they changed the font on oh. the pouch and then he wouldn't eat it. Yeah, you can't do that. Oh my gosh. I wrote letters to that baby food company. I was like, how dare you change the packaging? And, uh, and then the little Danimal yogurts. And then we were supplementing with Pediasure. 
And I can't mm -hmm. tell you really how many eye rolls I got when we would be in restaurants and I would be giving him a Pediasure, you know, be, oh, do you know how much sugar is in that? I'm like, it's sustaining his life right now. Yep. Okay. I have Pediasure and Chex Mix in front of my child <laughs> and other kids are eating salads you know, at the other table. And it was, that was a really, really hard thing to, to, oh gosh, to, to cope with, honestly, because as a parent, as a mother, you want to feed your child. You yeah. know, I, when I was pregnant, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, he's gonna be such a salad eater. And <laughs> I'm, I am not a picky eater at all. I will eat pretty much anything you put in front of me. And here I had this child that wouldn't hardly eat anything at all. So he gradually started, it just took a lot of, of work. We did kind of this food therapy for a little bit and that just did not work. And so when he really started the ABA therapy program, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try some of these ABA trials at home. and we, I would pick one, one thing a week. So, and I would always kind of base it on the textures that he already had in his diet and then kind of expand. So at that time, when I st really kind of started the food trials, he was eating grapes and I said, okay, so what's kind of like a grape? I was like, okay, let's try blueberries. So that week, on that Monday, I said, okay, at dinner time, we're going to sit down at the dinner table and there's going to be a blueberry on the table. And, um, and then those little tiny hatchimals that you could get, mm -hmm. I bought a ton of those. Toys R Us was going out of business. I had my whole cart full. <laughs> I, I was like, please don't stop making these hatchimals. And that clicked for him. And so if he had the blueberry on his plate, if he licked the, the blueberry, and then if he put it in his mouth, and then he would chew it. And by the end of that week, with the help of the Hatchimals, he was eating blueberries. And so then the next week, I'm like, okay, we're going to try another fruit. And we did blackberries, kind of it was the same color, but a different texture. And so we did this for a couple of months, and it usually took about a week that would for him to acquire that food with the different trials at the kitchen table. So at that time, he, um, he started eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He, um, cause I was like, okay, I need another form of protein here. So the peanut butter and then raspberries, uh, the blackberries, blueberries. Um, and are those, all, all those still in his food? They're still mix? there. Oh, good. They're still there. The vegetables are still hard. The, um, he has, he eats sweet potatoes and he never turns a French fry away. But as far as any other types of vegetables, I mean, we have tried corn and peas and beans and it, he just, he won't have any of it. He will put tried it in his mouth and then raw, spit it out. Raw and cooked. He won't raw do and way. cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's tough. So we'll just keep little going battles. with it. You know, yeah, little, little battles, but he's come a long way, um, which, you know, it's those little tiny things that keep fueling the fire and, uh, you know, you just celebrate them as huge wins, even mm -hmm. though they may be minuscule to somebody else. They're like, oh, your child doesn't eat 
bananas? No, he doesn't, but he does now. So we had a party. We had a banana party. It was just, it was great. And, um, and you just celebrate with your child for those milestones. For sure. Well, because considering just what you've said so far about, you know, really being a force to be reckoned with when it comes to your child and getting yeah. services and, and getting the things that you need. Um, obviously you're a huge advocate for not only Alex, but so many other families on the spectrum and creating awareness around, um, you know, just autism in general. Um, mm -hmm. so what was the driving force to you starting a podcast. I, I, as you know, it's a lot of work as I'm learning. Yeah, it is. I had no idea. <laughs> I love the My Autism Tribe um, podcast though. You've done so many episodes already in just a short time because you started yeah. that early this year, right? Yeah, in January. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're and, yeah, 40, 40 episodes. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> it's crazy. I, when I first started it, I really didn't know um, you know, people are like, oh, so do you have like this whole business plan? And I have a business background. I am a spreadsheet business plan kind of person. But <laughs> when it came to like the podcast and then eventually like the nonprofit, I really didn't because as far as the podcast, definitely the podcast, not necessarily the nonprofit, but definitely with the, with the podcast, I wanted it to kind of grow organically. I really, I knew what I needed. And that was support and trying to find the community, make my voice stronger, make other voices stronger. And I wanted it to just kind of, you know, live and breathe in its own way. And, and instead of trying to put it into this square box. And so, yeah, in January, it all kind of started last September. So it's been a year ago. Um, uh, company that I was working for um, as VP of client services decided they were closing their doors. And so I'm a single mama and that just kind of puts every ounce of fear in you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what, what am I going to do? And um, I, at that point in time, I had a lot of people reaching out to me because I talk autism all the time and, and I am passionate about advocating for my son and I had had people reaching out to me anyway, just asking, you know, what, what did you do for your son? And I know you've been in it for a little while. Can you offer any suggestions or places to go for therapy and all of that? And so I thought, well, maybe I can do something more with this and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer in God and I really just started praying, um, you know, is this something that I'm supposed to be doing? And I just kept hearing and seeing this. Yes. And so, uh, I didn't know what that looked like. And then I went, it was in November of 2018. I went to this podcast gathering with a friend and I walked away and I knew that I was supposed to have been there. And I was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. So my friend just kind of laughed. She's like, you're, you're going to do this. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And so I just started buying the equipment. And a month later, I launched the a month and a half later, I launched my first podcast. And my friend was like, um, so I thought you said like you were going to do it, but I did know you were really were. And then when you did, I didn't know you were going to do it so soon. I was like, I'm not going to sit on my hands here. Yeah. I've got 
I've got to talk about this stuff. And so it was, um, it was pretty cool. And then about a month, month and a half later, we started the process of becoming a nonprofit. So, um, yeah, it's just been this whole spiral of just great and amazing things. And I've met so many amazing people like yourself and just so many people in the autism community. And it's been a huge support for me. And I hope that I've been a huge support for others. For sure you have. And you, you know, helped inspire me to start this podcast too. I mean, along the same lines of you, I think, and I've mentioned it on other episodes before, I just, I feel like there's such a lack of, of talk and conversation about teenagers and moving quickly into adulthood on the spectrum. And what do we do? There's just, there's not many people talking. And I know there are so many more people that are further in their journey than I am. Um, You know, they have true adults in their twenties and thirties. And I would Mm -hmm. just love to find them. I know they're out there. Oh yeah. (laughs) People with, you know, I'm, I'm finding a lot of people with teenagers, um, and they've been willing to talk and share. And I, I love that. I just, you know, I want to do what I can to identify next steps for people so that, you know, we can further this conversation for, you know, when Alex is 18 and 20. Um, and I know you've even at his young age, you've still even already done some, some work in, in the Lexington area into that, into the future for kids on the spectrum when they age. So you're to be commended. I appreciate it. And I I will come to Lexington anytime and uh, help you and do whatever I can because it's so important. It is. It is at every stage. Uh, in a child's life, you know, there, there's always something and, it's not like, okay, we got through ABA therapy, he graduated that. Now we're all done, you know, wipe our hands clean. Let's move forward. There's always going to be something. And that's for any child. That's for every individual. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly learning things about ourselves. And that's the beautiful thing in life, I think. And so, yeah, if we had these open conversations, that's another thing that I wanted to mention is that when Alex was diagnosed with autism, it was something I, I kind of went into my own shell for about a month because I really didn't know how to talk about it. And there were st- so many unknowns still because I was still learning so much about it and was kind of diverting questions that people would ask because I really honestly didn't know how to answer them. And, but I made a promise to Alex um, that autism would never be whispered, that it was kind of like a badge of honor. And that is, it is going to teach him resiliency. And that's something that I think is not taught with very many children in general today. How can we teach our children to be resilient, how to face challenges? And Alex has already done so much of that already in his short six years of life. And I look at him sometimes and I literally well up with tears because what he has gone through and has overcome just in these six years, I cannot even imagine what amazing things he's going to do in the future. And I'm already so proud of him. And he's, he's going to spark tidal waves. I know he is. And even if, you know, that, that path for him may look very different than most children. And I am absolutely okay with that. I am more than okay with that because he's going to make a difference. Yeah. He's definitely going to be a difference maker with a impactful role model. 
uh, that you are for him. I mean, you know, you just break through walls and doors and ceilings and everything. And I, I can totally envision him as an adult. I can't wait to know yeah. him, you know, as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> he'll yeah. probably be somebody who is advocating, um, you know, for future generations with this disorder and other things. So absolutely that, you know, on the, on my podcast, I also like to interview self-advocates. So people that are on the spectrum uh -huh. and that is really important because their voices are so much more powerful than yes. I believe. I mean, they're really the ones that we really need to listen to and their experiences have been just, uh, really eye-opening and there are some really powerful voices uh, that are self-advocating and to I want Alex to be one of those you know yeah. like he is advocating for himself but I also want him to advocate for others not even necessarily just an autism just advocate for just fairness for mm -hmm. you know the rights of others and you know all of that kind of good stuff just be For a good sure. man. Well, and that's a, that's a good transition really to, um, you know, your series of children's books that you're working on. And then the ebook project too, when you told me about all of that, I just melted because I, you know, being in the medical field, my entire adult life, um, you know, I've seen a lot of parents who have children with diabetes, um, you know, having them mm -hmm. go into the schools and have their children, or the parents, um, depending on their age, talk to the other children about diabetes and, um, you know, injecting insulin and just the pumps and the various aspects of that. Yeah. I don't think that that happens enough for other um, disorders and, you know, just anything at all making a child a little bit different than their peers. Yeah. Rather than the kids pointing and staring and asking, you know, questions that are inappropriate to, to meet it at, at the beginning of the school year and have yeah. the teacher buy in to that. Um, I just think that's phenomenal. And I, I know that you mentioned that that was kind of the goal with the children's books that you're writing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So it all started because Alex, this was about a year ago, Alex was kind of getting to be what I thought the age where he was starting to understand that he had those differences and just want to, again, you know, kind of going back to something that I said, I've never whispered the word autism. I've had very, you know, open conversations around him with autism, certainly protecting certain conversation topics, you know, of course, in front of him. But I wanted to be able to write like a little something for him in a fun way. He absolutely loves books. He lo he's an avid reader. Um, and he loves dinosaurs. He just loves anything science really. But at that moment in time, a year ago, like he was like really into dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, he can name all of them, like the period, Jurassic, late Jurassic, all of that. Um, and so I just wrote this little story um, about a dinosaur and I, I read them, read it to him. Of course, it didn't have any pictures or whatever. I am a terrible drawer. I mean, I'm, it's like, have you ever tried to draw a stick figure dinosaur? It doesn't work. I can't work. even draw a stick figure person. <laughs> very well. <laughs> it doesn't work. So um, I like to call it abstract art. But yes. so, um, so anyway, I ended up sending this story to a couple of editor friends that I had from my time in New York and LA. And 
my editor friend in New York, you know, said, Susan, you have to write more. Like, this is amazing. And so I was like, all right, I'll write some more. So <laughs> nothing else to do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. In my free time. Uh, and so I really just started having fun with it. And um, yeah, so not to give too much away because they're getting ready to push into illustration. Um, hopefully the November we have an amazing oh, that's artist. Great. Yeah, have an amazing amazing artist that has agreed to um He's, I cannot speak enough great things about him. He's an amazing painter and he's going to be real, literally turning these words into a work of art. And my whole goal for these books are each, each book is going to be kind of like a lesson in, uh, and provide children, uh, what I like to call a window and a mirror. So really relate to the kids as a mirror, like they can see themselves in the story, the kids that have autism, and then a window for the children that aren't on the spectrum, being able to kind of look in and see what a certain child, you know, it's just developing that empathy mm -hmm. for someone, um, understanding them in a fun way. You know, no one wants to say, okay, what's the definition of autism? No six-year-old, no seven-year-old. <laughs> No, no 40 year old, no 40 year old <laughs> wants to see a definition of autism. It's just the way you connect with people and most certainly with children is through visuals and fun conversation. So I also um, am working with a group of educators, early childhood educators on the back end to form a curriculum for these for these books so that they can in my in my goal is to have them inserted into classrooms and so to be able to provide these teachers hey listen um i know all about writing lesson plans and things like that we've basically done this for you uh here's a book here's some conversation topics you can have to keep the conversation going and introduce these books at an early age when it is so critical that we are teaching and educating our children on how to include others and be accepting of others for all the differences that we all have. And, you know, I, so I, I hope, you know, that it will, it'll, it'll take off. I know I'm really excited about it and there's not anything out there like that, that I've been able to research because I kind of started off with being able to try to find something like this for Alex and introduce that into his classroom. And I wasn't able to find anything. So just create your um, own. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, the, the timing couldn't be any better. I mean, there's no time like the present really, because the diagnosis right. count is going up every single year. And it's yeah. insane how many children are on the spectrum now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother podcast and, but I mean, it's just an epidemic and it really is. And I feel like more and more people should be talking about it at a young yeah, age yeah. and teaching the kids that there's nothing wrong. You're not going to get cooties from our kids. You yeah. know, it's just, I mean, little kids, just the things they come up with. It's, it's, it's so sad sometimes because they're being mean and they don't realize they're being mean. Right. If they just understood, I think it would be so much easier and no one would even look twice. 
at a child who was maybe stemming in class or, you know, if they just yeah. understood that. So with the series of books, um, did you tell me that each book will be a little bit different, like maybe focus on Asperger's aspect and then another one will focus on a verbal versus a nonverbal um, yeah. child and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, of course, we've got the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, so for sure. it's like, oh my gosh, well, what does autism look like? Oh boy. Well, where do you even start? You know, <laughs> because gosh, we're neurotypical, but we're all different. I mean, it's just, so it's being able to introduce certain aspects that someone may find on the spectrum. So one dinosaur is nonverbal and she, she stems her little tail shakes whenever she gets really excited about something. And, you know, one dinosaur may have sensory challenges. And for a dinosaur that has sensory challenges, how is he supposed to like live and eat and, you know, uh, be involved in his environment. And another little dinosaur has, um, has a stem that he doesn't quite know how to, um, to, to curb, but his mother finds that he's able to use the stem to create actually really beautiful things. And so it's turning these differences into beautiful things and seeing them as not bad, but beautiful and as just a part of, of, of everyone. So we're all human and we're, we have grown to be very accepting of people in wheelchairs that use crutches that are blind, that are deaf, like all of, all of these things, we just need to love everyone. Mm -hmm. And so if we can start really wrapping our heads around these differences that make the world go round and really do make the world a more beautiful place, then I think we're onto something. You know, I have encountered very many adults parents of children that have been just really quite rude, intentionally rude, um, in public. And I can't help but think that that behavior is going to roll off onto their children. And so part of my mission with my autism tribe is really engaging the whole community. It's, you know, not just the autism community, although that's really important because we definitely need that support and empowerment, but is really like the education portion of it, being engaged in the community and really teaching the community about all of this. And so that we've had a lot of events that kind of just tailored to the entire community, at least here in Lexington. And my goal is to have these events in other parts of the country as well. And um you know, and go from there because I really want to, to engage with those parents, with those people that aren't familiar with autism, because a lot of people say, well, we don't need any more autism awareness. What we need now is acceptance and inclusion. And whereas that is absolutely valid, I definitely believe in that. There's still a lot of awareness that needs to be done, at least from what I've experienced. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, I still think people see my son and they think he's just a brat if he's like banging on the table at a restaurant, you know, waiting for his food or something. And, you know, as much as we try, you know, to hold his hands down and, you know, say, no, don't do that. Things like that. People look over and they're like, oh my gosh, he just needs a smack. 
you know, yeah. across the butt or whatever, you know, yeah. that he's just naughty or, you know, I mean, there's tons of staring. There's tons, you know, tons of things like that. I would so much rather someone come up to me and ask me, um, yeah. you know, if, if there's anything they can do to help, or if they see me struggling to get through a door with him in his stroller or whatever, instead of staring at me, if they could just come over and say, Hey, can I get the door for you? Or do you need mm -hmm. anything? I mean, it, it would go a long way for yeah. someone to just, you know, help me, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we can, uh, get to that place with a bunch of, you know, community events, like you said, and just advocacy all over. Sure. Um, yeah. You have obviously a lot going on, a lot of projects, um, all while caring for Alex 24 seven you know, as a single yeah. mom. I mean, it's just mind blowing all the things that you're doing while being a single mom. How do you unwind, relieve stress? Do you <laughs> take any time at all for yourself? Do you get any time? I somehow I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> That's where it was leading because I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question. And I laugh every single time because I f there are certain days like where I'm like, I'm just being a mom, you know, and I have another job that I do. Like I have my own marketing consulting business. And so I do that and I do the my autism tribe in my heart of hearts. I mean, that's really what I want to be doing full time. I feel like I'm doing it full time anyway. Um, and then Alex, who is my top, my top priority. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, well you're on a plane and that you put your oxygen mask on before <laughs> you put your child's. And I'm like, that just seems so backwards, but I get it. As far as the rest and rejuvenation, I made a commitment to myself um, and it was this spring. I, <laughs> it, I kind of life ebbs and flows, right? And I was really, um, I was in the process of selling my house and really just kind of, Alex and I were trying to find our own little sense of normalcy uh, with some personal life changes and all of this stuff. And I was stressed to the max. And I, uh, I had a couple of friends and that said, they basically were prying me away from my everyday life because I still had that general mom guilt that I think that we can all kind of agree with be like, okay, if we're not doing something for others, there's no, I mean, there's no way we can do something for ourselves because that's just selfish. Um, my friends were very intentional and in being able to get me out and doing things. And I really, really struggled with it at first and I still struggle with it, but I'm getting better. But, um, you know, my mom would watch Alex, you know, on one night and I would go out with friends yeah. and it's not like we were painting the town red. We were going to dinner and talking, <laughs> you know, it's not I'm like, usually in bed by 10. Exactly. But I, I always started, I, I just felt so rejuvenated. Um, and so I don't do that all the time. I need to do it more, but I am now really trying to make a conscious effort to do that because I really do. At first, I didn't think that I could do it. And then I did. And then, you know, once I started feeling a little more comfortable, it's like, okay, I went out with friends one night this month, you know, 
I, let me try it again next month. And I'm, I'm allowing myself to do that. Uh, before it was my self-care consisted of watching Netflix in bed after Alex went to sleep and eating popcorn. And that, and that was it. And even though I still do that, because it's amazing, I'm in my own little piece of heaven when that happens. But um, I am making a conscious effort to actually be around other people, you know, yeah. include other people in my life because they are, um, they're just amazing. And they really do provide me support, honestly, more than they know. Well, that's sweet. You just don't want to crash and burn. You know, it's so hard for us overachievers to, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> to yeah. just literally just crash because of exhaustion and just being overwhelmed. Um, and yeah. I know you already know that and everyone tells you that I'm sure, but even if you could just go take a walk for yourself after you drop them off, I used to, um, drop my children off at their schools and, um, just go for a quick run, just even just a couple blocks around the school while I was already there. I just made sure I dressed oh, yeah. to, to run just to give myself 20 minutes, you know, 30 minutes to just do whatever before yeah. my day started. And I had to send emails and work and do all of this stuff. Um, cause I, I was about to lose my mind, I think. Yeah, I really, we probably did. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were, there were days where I, I, my, all of my thoughts were just convoluted. I, I couldn't think straight. I literally, I think just life in general, you're, you constantly feel like you're spinning plates, but then in the situation that I found myself in where I was solely responsible for taking care of a human being. Yep. Uh, it was, that was daunting. And, um, there were, there were days where I just felt a lot of guilt because I, I really physically didn't feel like I had anything to give and I was crashing and burning. I would go, 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 go nonstop, full speed, a hundred miles an hour in four different directions for like a solid month. Mm-hmm. And then I would just pass out, you know, and be good for nothing for two days and get sick. And I was like, I just feel terrible. I just feel terrible. And my mom was like, you know, Susan, you have to slow down. I'm like, I can't slow down. And <laughs> looking back at some of that, just because of some personal things that were going on in my life at that time too, I honestly feel like I was staying that busy to keep from kind of simmering in some emotions that I had. Absolutely. But yeah. But I, I really started kind of dealing with those emotions and it was really kind of in that place last year, but started really making the conscious effort to get out of that simmering um, and staying busy all the time in spring of this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can relate to all of those things, being a single mom for many years too. And, um, I think it's, it's in that place. Once you come out of it, that you allow yourself permission to take time for yourself, you know, and and you're right. It it is a feeling of being selfish and then you have to be selfish because, you know, you're no, you're not as good to them as you could be. If you took a little bit of time to just kind of re revamp yourself, you know, absolutely. (laughs) And just get a little bit of rest. I mean, and I know it's hard. It's easy to say because uh, there's a lot of families, um, you know, us included sometimes where we don't get any sleep at all. You know, our kids yeah. are up all night or they wake up at 4 a.m. And there's uh, yeah. so many other scenarios. But, um, you know, 
even if it's just encouraging you to take a walk, I'll come down there and we'll, we'll go for some walks. <laughs> Let's go for a walk and coffee. coffee. I mean, you, do, you know, I, I don't know. Do you live on coffee like I do? It's I like, don't actually, I don't drink coffee. I never have. What? It's, it, yeah. I, even through college, I tried all of the flavored <laughs> coffees and the, yeah, I'm just not, I've never been a coffee drinker. So oh, good for you. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how awesome. I'm Yes. Well, gosh, you are so inspirational. I, I mean, I know I've said it already, but I just, you, you are just such a wonderful role model for your son. And for so many of us parents out there Aww. dealing with all kinds of things on the spectrum and outside of the spectrum. And um, I'm just so glad to know you and to, that you were a guest on my podcast. So more people can know who you are. I just think you're going to be doing such great things and I cannot wait for your books to come out. Oh, I think yeah. that is such an unmet need and I'm going to make sure everyone in Louisville knows about them. Well, <laughs> thank you so I have, much. I think they should thank definitely you. be incorporated into schools. Well, sure. that's so sweet. Thank you so much. I, I think we're all inspiring. We, we need to inspire each other because not all of us are on the highs every day. Some of us are in the lows. And so, you know, it's good if we can help balance each other out. Um, I do want to say also like the other book, um, and I want you of course to contribute to it is something that we're doing for the nonprofit It's called stories from my autism tribe. And it's stories from self-advocates, parent advocates, grandparents, um, you know, provider advocates, everyone is submitting a story of how autism has affected their life. And it's really just story specific stories or just general stories. And, um, and then it'll, that, that will be rolling out as well. And so if anyone's interested in submitting a story for this, we would certainly love to be able to share that as well. And can they submit that to any of the links that I'll provide for your Instagram, your Facebook, your webpage, uh, your website? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, they can. Probably the easiest way is to send me something via the website um, on the contact form. Okay. Or your email. Should, should or I email. email. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're just asking the stories are approximately a thousand words. Um, and and yeah, it's just, I want to make sure that everyone's voices are heard. That's, that's my goal because one voice made stronger is going to make the impact, you know? Yep. I agree. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. You know, yeah, you're doing yeah, it yourself. Book, <laughs> yeah. Writing one book for myself was, was uh, daunting, but it's hopefully it'll be out in April. So. Oh, that's Fingers amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be on my, it's going to be in my hand. So I'm excited <laughs> for it. Thanks. Thanks. It was a bit big undertaking, but it was so worth it. So worth I'm it. Sure. Well, I appreciate you so much and in your time. And I, I, I know that many of the listeners got a lot of information and a lot of helpful things from our conversation today. So, um, I, I appreciate hope so. you and we will be in touch. I, I know very soon. Absolutely. We're going to do a walk. That's right. <laughs> With no coffee. <laughs> no cup. Well, I'm going to have coffee. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> Thanks so much, Susan. Thanks, I appreciate Lori. it. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode in two weeks. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Living the Sky Life within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select that five-star rating, provide feedback or suggestions about topics you'd like to hear about, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.